Hey Westside family, my name is Eric Johnson and I serve on the production team. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. Love you guys and enjoy. Well, you know, a few weeks ago, I was talking to pastor and he asked if I would uh, do the Bible study tonight. And um, it was really kind of funny because in the weeks prior to before he and I talking, him asking me to, to, to share tonight, um, my mind had begun to kind of drift back to a theme of a message that I shared here many years ago. I think it was on a Sunday night, and uh, it just had been going over and over and over in my spirit. So uh, when he asked me to, to, to fill in tonight, I thought, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to revisit that theme from some time ago. It won't be exactly the same, I hope. Um, but anyway, uh, we're going to get started. <coughs> and uh, as we begin, I'll just ask a question in general to everybody. Have you ever been in a spot where you're looking for direction? I mean, you really need to hear a word from God. And uh, you can name the challenge, you can name the issue you're facing, but see, you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed some more, and all you hear are just crickets. <laughs> uh, that's not a fun place to be, because when we get in those situations, if we're not careful, it's these times that we may begin to doubt um, the reality of God's presence in our lives. Have you ever been there? It's like, I need to hear from God, and I'm not hearing anything. God, are you even there? Hello? Are you up there? Well, you know, if we're not here at the moment, I, I'm sure we, we have been at some point, and, and we will be again at some point. Um, so what we're going to do in just the next few moments, we're just going to explore a few scenarios concerning where we're in a season where we're just, we're just not hearing God's voice. So to kick this off, we're going to um, take a look in the life of Abraham. Most, as most of you know, was a patriarch of the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. And in chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, and he's still going uh, by the name Abram at this point, we see that God had made a promise to him and his descendants that they would be as numerous as the stars because what it comes down to, okay, what was so special about Abraham? Well, God saw a good man there, and he called him aside and sent him apart to father a race of people that God would use to introduce the world to himself. And uh, in time, um, at a point in the future, the Savior would come into the world from those descendants, okay? Uh, and we know we needed Jesus to come into the world to redeem us from the curse of sin brought on by Adam and Eve. And aren't you glad that he did? So verse 6 says, Abraham believed and God accounted it to him as righteousness. But move on to chapter 16, and we see that he and his wife, Sarai, um, later to be named Sarah, well, they're starting to get up in age, and they still have no child. So, they try to help God out. You ever try to help God out? Does he really need our help? No, when he has a purpose, he does not need our help. But they try to help God out, and they act on a custom of the time, um, and uh, Sarah takes her handmaiden into Abraham and says, I'm going to give her to you, and you guys can father a child together, and uh, Maybe that's going to, you know, that, that'll fulfill God's promise. Um, so this happens, and um, we see that uh, Ishmael's born. 
Now, several years ago, Pastor Ross preached a really good message about how sometimes we get ahead of God and we make a decision in haste in a certain area and we give birth to an Ishmael. And uh, how those Ishmaels have the potential to come back and bite us later down the road. And it did in the relationship between Abram and his wife. This caused tension between uh, uh, Sarah and, and her handmaiden. And uh, the Ishmael started getting on everybody's nerves. And it finally got so bad at one point that they sent Ishmael and his mother out packing. Sent them out in the wilderness. And they ran out of water. And, and uh, Hagar, the handmaiden, she thought her son was going to die. And the Bible says she cried out to God, and God heard her cries, and he provided water and made her a promise. He said, the boy's going to live, and uh, I'll make out of Ishmael a great nation. And Ishmael became the father of the Arab nations, who have been trouble for uh, Abraham's descendants, the Israelis, for many years. And quite frankly, those nations have been uh, trouble for a lot of other nations in the world ever since. But that's a whole other kettle of fish. We're not going to get into that tonight. <clears throat> so at any rate, we find Abram. He's at the end of chapter 16, and Ishmael's been born. And it says that Abram is 86 years old at this point. So now we move to chapter 17. And it appears that a big chunk of time has passed since God had spoken to, to Abram. And then we go to Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. And it said, when Abraham was 99 years old, so... Uh, 13 years have passed. The Lord God appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked to him. So in the next few verses, God reminds Abram of the promise that he'd made. And changes his name to Abraham, which meant father of many nations. And the point that I'm going to hammer on, see, Abraham, he went, what, 13 years without hearing the voice of God, is that God's silence doesn't mean that he's absent. And a few points I want to make about God's silence, I want to make a few points about God's silence and why, why, why sometimes uh, we can't hear him. I sometimes, the first point is, I sometimes think that God's silent because we won't shut up. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Well, my dad, when that little man told me, he said, Boy, you better be still. I knew what he meant. That I better, <laughs> I better quiet down and I better listen. Um, but don't you think sometimes that God would like us to quit you know, just analyzing and overthinking and over-talking situations in our lives and, and, and for us just to get quiet. Um, and it's been at these times that I've had to work to make it a practice to have my alone time with him. And, and in these times, it's been helpful for me to, to pray in the Spirit as Pastor Jonathan was exhorting about Sunday morning over, over the situation where my understanding is unfruitful, but my spirit speaks mysteries to God. And we can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, these are the times that God's begin to, when I get quiet, he begins to drop things in my spirit and impart things to me that he'd, he'd have me hear. Now, on the other hand, I think sometime that God allows us to go through a season of silence to get us to walk before him and to dig deeper. I mean, don't you love the times that, that you have a need or you have a situation going on, going on in your life and you just ask and you receive and it just seems almost immediately 
it's resolved. Don't you, don't you love that? I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Get all giddy and everything. But in this verse, when we're compelled, Matthew 7, 7, when we're compelled to ask and, and seek and knock, it seems like that twice as often to find an answer for our petitions, almost twice as much, it takes a little more effort. Because the terms to seek and to knock that implies that there might just be a little bit more work involved. Um, seeking isn't just needing a certain item and, and looking around for a minute and, uh, you know, there it is. Um, but when I hear the term to seek, I think of, of, a, of an archaeologist, like the hero in my all-time favorite movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, I'm talking about the first one. I've seen the other ones, and they should have just stopped. I, they, they overdid that. But, uh, oh, Indiana Jones, you know, he's looking for that lost ark, that really valuable artifact. And what did he have to do? He had to take risks and, 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 and fight for his life and, 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 and uh, uh, sometimes, you know, have to, have to uh, uh, put up with, you know, snakes crawling around and all the certain elements. But he, he worked really hard to find that item that he was looking for. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to get out. We have to seek. We have to do some work. Um, knocking doesn't take quite as much effort, I don't think, as seeking, but just imagine that scenario that there's somebody that you, you really need to talk to them, and you know they're in the house, but for whatever reason unknown to you, they just can't seem to get to the door. So what do you do? You just keep knocking, and you just keep knocking until they open the door. And see, these are exercises that God uses to build our faith, and you know, this isn't always pleasant. I don't enjoy the, these times, but it's important for our development as believers. Um, Isaiah 40, 31 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Um, the things that cause us to become weary, if we'll wait, God will use these things to, to renew us. <coughs> now, I just for a moment, think of, think of some, somebody in your life. There may be several people in, that, that I can think of right now that are just spiritual giants. I mean, you, it's like they've got this whole thing figured out. And, uh, you know, we look up to them and we listen to them preach. And sometimes we're mentored one-on-one -on -one by these people. But, you know, these spiritual giants that we look up to, they weren't born that way. Okay? Um, I'll never forget Adrian Rogers. Does anybody remember Adrian, Adrian Rogers? Uh, he had a TV and radio program called Love Worth Finding. And uh, he went to be with the Lord in 2005. And he was just that one of these, one of these men of God whose demeanor and character, it, it, would just, it would just seem to command respect. Um, when I listen to him on the radio or I'd, I'd see him on TV, I'd think of that, that, just that elder statesman. Um, and if he were around, I, I'd probably want to tuck my shirt tail in and stand up a little straighter and make sure I was minding my manners. Uh, he just seemed to command that, that type of respect from, from people. But, um, I mean, he had all these accomplishments. I mean, he had uh, many years in the ministry, uh, his radio and TV program, uh, a run of Bellevue Baptist Church in, in Tennessee. I believe it was like a 33 years he pastored that church. Um, he was the three-time president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, a member of Focus on the Family's Board of Directors at one point, and even presidents called on him in times of crisis to help him pray and, and, uh, and get through these difficult situations. I think we could use a man like that now. Anybody say amen? <laughs> But see, most don't know, know what it took. They just see this resume and think, what a great man of God. But they don't know what it took for a man like Pastor Rogers to get where he was. Um, looking back at his youth, a lot of people don't know it, but he had a reputation as a young man. 
He was a really tough guy. Uh, it was said of him he had an overdose, overdose of courage, and he really knew how to fight. And on top of that, he was an outstanding high school and college football player. I didn't know that about him uh, until I started hearing him give his own testimony one, one time. But he talked about when he was about 19, he had begun to feel the call to ministry, and he was really in turmoil. He was really trying to seek the will of God for his life. And... Um, the place that he really went out when he got so burdened and so heavy one night, it was he went out to the football field that he would play on. And he's just, he's out there on this night, and he's just begging God to use him, he said. And he said his heart was really heavy, really burdened, and he fell to his knees and then prayed and cried and prayed and cried out to God. And he said after a span of time, he felt no relief from the heaviness, and he laid flat on the ground, and he dug a little hole there on the football field, and he said it was just big enough for him to put his face in. And he said, uh, he said, God, this is as low as I can go. If you can use anyone, please use me. <laughs> and it's pretty obvious to anyone familiar with his ministry that God really did. God tells us in his word, he says, I am El Shaddai. I am Al Almighty God. He says, walk with me. And we need to remember, see, it's God that sets the pace of our steps, not us. He tells us, slow down and walk and don't run. And when Abraham, when God really ministered to him is when Abraham fell on his face and God talked to him. And that's when God will talk to us. Um, my next point I want to touch on briefly is sometimes it's hard to hear God because of sin that we haven't dealt with. Psalm 66, 18, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And I just say a big old ouch to that because I'm pretty sure if he's not hearing us, it's going to be pretty hard for us to hear him, right? Um, you know what, folks? We, we all have stuff that we have to deal with. Everybody in here, we have habits that are hard to break, um, strongholds that, of things that we might have gotten involved in when we were younger, um, habits, ways of reacting. And we might as well be honest, we've all got dark places that we fight to keep at bay. And we have to rely on God's grace daily. I, I think I've probably shared before about praying with a young man around uh, down front here one Sunday morning years ago and talking about having a hard time and a, and a struggle. And, and uh, he was just really, really ate up about it. And I told him, but I said, I've walked this road a long time and I have relied on God's grace every day, every day of that walk, because if it wasn't for his grace, I couldn't make it. And, you know, God is so gracious. Aren't you glad we serve a gracious, forgiving God? Um, you know, for most of us, the things that we deal with, we're quick to repent, and we try to move forward, but I think there's one area that's really universal in the Christian experience, and to be transparent, just going to be totally real, this is an area where I struggle, and it's in the area of bitterness and unforgiveness. I mean, that can shut down communication between us and our Lord in a big way when we're harboring those things in our hearts. I mean, somebody's wronged us. And they've wronged us very, very badly. And then we hold an offense and we feel justified because, hey, we're right, you know. Um, and I've been known to be a little self-righteous in this area because, you know, I don't, I don't start stuff. Uh, never has been in my name. I never could understand, even, you know, and believe me, when I was going, growing up, there was a pretty good span of time. I was no angel. But... I never was one just to go out and start issues and just, just deliberately try to cause indigestion or, or, or disrupt somebody's life just, just 
for meanness sake. I, that just, I just wasn't that way. And well, you know, actually, I, I may have learned there might be one reason why I was that way because, you know, we talk about, about bullying. You know, everybody's, everybody in here has been bullied. We've all been pushed around a little bit. Um, but uh, now they write articles and they have, you know, seminars and stuff on bullying and stuff like this. You know, it's something that I don't think will ever go away. But uh, I understood what it was like to be bullied. But, see, I had an ace in the hole. I had a big strapping strong older brother. And he told me, you know, you're my little brother. I'll smack you around and torment you if I want to, but everybody else better leave you alone. <laughs> so, however, he did let me know, if you're big enough to start something, you better be big enough to finish it. <laughs> Don't go running your mouth acting like a little punk and expect me to bail you out because that's not going to happen. So that, you know, that was probably part of it too. But, you know, I'm here to tell you, you come after me or you come after somebody you love, I'll just be straight with you. I might just, if I think it's worth it, I might just come back at you twice as hard. And I won't forget, being honest here. Um, but we hold on to offenses and we replay the circumstances and scenarios in our mind. And, and maybe we, we anticipate an opportunity where we might be able to even the score. And that's another thing, man. I am very calculating. It's like, you know, they're doing this and this, and if I see them, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say that, and if they do this, I'm going to, you know, I, I have it all figured out. Uh, it's, it's a sickness. <laughs> but see, before we know it, we're the one who's worse for the wear. I mean, by carrying all that stuff and holding all that stuff, we're miserable, we're bitter, unable to hear from God. And I've heard it said, and the, the irony of it that is, it, you know, it's just so huge. I've heard it said that bitterness and unforgiveness is a poison we drink hoping to harm someone else. And this will eat you alive from the inside out while your offender goes free. Mark Twain said it like this. He said, anger is an acid that could do more harm to the vessel in which it's stored than to anything on which it's poured. So not only do we not hear from God, we're tearing ourselves up too by holding on to these things. Um, furthermore, there's something else I've seen and I've experienced over the years when a wrong's done to somebody, the reaction by the offended party and the fallout can end up being just as wrong, if not worse, than that of the one that, that was the offender. Um, over several months, I watched somebody that was a good friend of mine, and they were wronged. They were wronged. They were, I, I, you know, in my view, and I'll still hold it to it to this day, uh, they were conspired against, and everybody could see it coming, and they were wronged. Um, but they were just eaten alive by this offense. Wrong very, very badly. This was the problem, though. His reaction was so ugly that he let it just consume him, and he was just obsessed with it. And uh, instead of giving it to God, he'd regurgitate the situation, uh, talked about his, his offenders in just really, really ugly terms and he spread his offense and that's another thing that we do too you know we get an offense and we want to spread it around to everybody else and he spread this offense to anyone who'd listen and many of whom were unbelievers and and this just really began to break my heart because as much as I tried to encourage him and let him know I was praying and and man you gotta let God handle this he just let it consume him and and it ended that part ended pretty pretty badly, and it was it was a really sad thing to to sit and watch the the progress over several months. 
I mean, but what do we do? How do we muster enough faith to forgive so we can hear God's voice again? Because it, it's difficult. Um, I think it's important for us to figure out the meaning of forgiveness. We need to know what forgiveness is and, and, and what it's not. See, forgiveness doesn't mean the person in question, what they did was okay. Because it wasn't okay. It was wrong. Um, does it mean that you've got to go be their best friend and spend time with them? And put, them, put yourself in a situation to get hurt again? I mean, are you crazy? Don't sign up for more abuse. I mean, does it mean that you're going to feel sweet, gooey feelings when you see or you think about that person in question? Well, probably not. But the definition of forgiveness, it's the intentional voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in feelings and attitudes regarding an offense and let's go. Of negative emotions. See, we have to let it go for our, our own, you know, physical, spiritual good. And we have to not dwell on it anymore. But see, God, on the other hand, and this is what we need to remember, God is a just God. He doesn't have to let it go. And we're reminded several times in his word that it's his business. It's his job to even the score. Psalm 54, 4. God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I was reading a little more in Psalms <laughs> the other day, and, and, and David was talking. He said, break, break the teeth of my offenders. I mean, you know, <laughs> Deuteronomy um, uh, 32, 35 we get reminded again uh, of the same thing in Romans 12, 19 and Hebrews uh, 10, 30. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and things to come hasten, hasten upon them. See, once again, we have to let it go, but he doesn't have to. He'll take care of you and he'll even the score. We just can't be too happy about it when we see it happen. And just remember this. Just because he doesn't balance the books by next Tuesday, okay, it doesn't mean he doesn't balance the books, okay? He says, I will repay. Like everything else, we've got to leave it to him, and it's always better, right? Um, I really liked what I heard a preacher say this. He said in addition to his, he had his prayer list, but he also had what he called his hit list. <laughs> he said these were people that, that he didn't care for, by the way that they treated him or they treated others. And he said he'd, he'd go to prayer and he'd say, God, you know how I feel about these, but you, your word says I have to forgive them, I have to love them, I have to pray for them. So you bless them and you deal with them the way you see fit. I'm giving them to you. And you know, the, 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 the great thing here, he said, it was really funny. He said when he was really honest with himself and prayed that very sincerely, um, he said as time goes by, one by one, his feelings toward these people soften, and the anger and the bitterness goes away because they're on his hit list. And he said that hit, hit list gets smaller and smaller, but I guess he's always got more people to add on. So anyway, and church, I'm telling you, by no means, by no means do I have this one nailed down, but I'm a little bit better. I'm a little bit better, and I'm a much happier man for it. And the final point, I think, this is where most of us are when we're not hearing God's voice. It's when we're just so burdened down and distracted by the cares and the worries of this life that we just don't recognize him. And boy, it, you know, it's hard when stuff's coming against you. 
And it seems like when one thing's going does it see, is it just me or does it seem like it all starts happening at once? You know, one thing, it, it's kind of trying, like trying to put a, uh, a grass fire out. You know, you just get this part put out and then something else crops up. It's, it's maddening. Um, but we get distracted and we get, we get ate up by the cares and the worries of this life that, that we just don't, we can't feel him. We don't recognize that he's there. Um, I heard about a lady. She'd taken a job as a teacher of blind teens and young adults. And she noticed one of the 19, one of her students, he was a 19-year-old young man. And he just had a, just, just a really energy and just a zest for life. And uh, she said when she came better acquainted with him because she, she found out that he wasn't born blind, that she, she would, oh, I'm going to ask him how he actually lost his eyesight. And he was really open. He shared with her when he was 13 years old. He was out doing something, and a chemical was splashed in his eyes, and immediately, you know, lights out, permanently blind. And he went on to tell her how he'd sunk into a really deep depression. I mean, tough enough. You remember being 13? A lot of fun things about being 13, but there were a lot of things that weren't fun, okay? I mean, that's, it's hard enough going through those, those issues of being, you know, becoming a teenager and whatever. But can you imagine coming into that and being permanently blind, knowing that you're never going to see again? Um, but he went on to say that he'd really sunk into a really deep depression, and, and um, he just spent hours in his room brooding and snapping at his mom and, and about how unfair life was, and he just wished that he'd die, and, and he felt like his life had no purpose, and, and he said he wouldn't even leave his room um, to eat. He just demanded that his mom bring his meals to him. And one day, his dad came in, and his dad said, okay, boy, listen up. He said, winter's coming, and it's time to get storm windows on the house. And this was a job that he and his dad had been doing together since he was real small. He said, you know where everything is out in the shed. I'm leaving. I'm going to be back in a few hours. And if those windows aren't up on the house, there's going to be trouble. Wow. <laughs> so the young man said it made him really, really mad. He said, I'm thinking, this is just great. I'm already blind. I'm probably going to slip off the ladder and break my neck. You know, he said, I'm, I'm going to be paralyzed as well. But... Uh, out to the shed he went, then began to feel his way around. He found the ladder, found the storm windows, uh, found the tools, and he was actually able to complete this task before, uh, before his dad got back. And so through some tough love, his dad taught him a valuable lesson that day, that despite his disability, that he could accomplish anything with the right amount of determination. And then some time passed, and someone finally told him, I guess his mom told him, that when he was in the process of putting up those windows, dad, dad, dad hadn't gone anywhere. Dad was just a few feet away, waiting to see if he'd fall. There to catch him when he, if, he, if he were to fall. Kind of sounds like our God, doesn't it? See, God's silence doesn't mean that he's absent. Somebody put it like this. They said a teacher is always silent during a test, right? <laughs> As I'm wrapping this thing up, in Luke 24, we find the followers of Jesus, and they're in a situation where they're really burdened down. And uh, their beloved teacher, he's been beaten. He's been hung on a cross till dead and laid to rest in a tomb. And I'm pretty sure all they, everything that they believed, all their hopes, their dreams of the future, they were all buried right along with him and sealed by that big stone that covered the, the face of that, of that tomb. And, of course, they'd all been in hiding because they thought that the officials were going to come and drag them off and torture and kill them as well. And then they get the news the body of Jesus is missing out of the tomb, and 
they're in turmoil as to whether to believe there's been a miracle or Jesus' body's just been taken away by grave robbers. So, you know, when you, when you look at the big story about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, the following, I think, there are, there are a lot of stories in that story when, when you look at it. And this, is, this, I think, is my favorite story to hear and read about within, within that whole story of the resurrection, other than the fact that Jesus rose, rose from the grave. But we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. And it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And the scripture tells us that one's name was Cleopas, and it doesn't give any direct evidence as to who the other disciple might be. At any rate, Jesus asked about this conversation. He said, you know, why, why are you so sad? And they begin to tell this stranger about the one that they put their hope in, and, and they said, we believed that he was going to be the redeemer of the world, and, and he was going to restore Israel, and we were going we to be a part of his great kingdom. And he was condemned to death, condemned to death and he was, he was crucified only three days ago, and, and now his body's missing. And on top of that, they said a bunch of crazy women say they've, 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 they've seen an angel and, and seen the empty tomb, and one even claims that she's talked to him. We don't know what to think. And then the Bible says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus began to teach them, began to school them in all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. That's what verse 27 tells us. And after a while, the Bible says they were nearing their destination, and, and this stranger that they were walking with, he told them that he was planning to continue down the road, but the two of them asked him to stay. Verse 29, he said, abide with us, because it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. So the stranger accepted their invitation, and they went inside, and they sat down to eat. And starting at verse 30, the Bible says that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they knew it. And he vanished from their sight. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us as he spoke to us on the road? See, Jesus was right there. He was right there walking with them. In, in, in their fear and their worry and their, in their sadness or disappointment, he was right there. He was just like that, that blind kid's dad uh, that was putting up the storm windows. He was just a few feet away. They, they could have reached out and they could have touched him. It just took him a while to figure out who their beloved teacher was. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And Lord Jesus, please forgive me because I forget this oh so very often. Um, one more time, God's silence doesn't mean that he's absent. Sometimes we just need to quiet down and remember that God's moving. Um, on a personal note, it was only a, four, a few short years ago I, I was in a situation where I'd never really been more uncertain about the direction where God was leading regarding work, retirement, ministry. See, there's a difference between thinking and knowing where things are headed. And, you know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going into the second half of, of my journey, which also included Vicki. And, you know, I was just in a lot of turmoil, and I was, I was really seeking God. But you know what? The great part about it was he revealed just enough to keep me going in the direction of his voice. 
And that's what it'll do to you. Sometimes we say, I wish you turned the lights on and I could see everything that's going on. No, it'd probably scare you to death and you just run and hide in a corner. Okay, but he reveals just enough light so you'll know where to take the next step. And, you know, I begin to experience uh, peace in my walk with Christ like I'd never known. And uh, as the plan continues to unfold, let me tell you, it's really turning out okay. He is so good. And you know what, church, if he's done this for me, He'll do it for you as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, for this time together. Thank you for, the, for your word. I thank you for these people that have gathered here tonight, Lord, just to, to hear your word and be ministered to. Father, we just pray that um, in those times where, where we don't hear you, or where we don't, we don't feel you, we don't know, we, we, we can't see any evidence, feel any evidence, hear any evidence that you're anywhere around, Help us just to accept by faith that you're there. And even though you might, we might be in a season where you're silent, we just continue to trust you, just, just, just following that little bit of light sometimes that's, that's just uh, that's shed on our path. As your word says, your, lamp, your word's a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. So, Father, we trust you. We love you. Lord God, we just, uh, all the situations that are going on in the lives of your people, Lord, the things that are going on over in the Ukraine, overseas, God, we, we give those cares and those worries to you. Lord, we trust you. We know that you're a good, sovereign God, and nothing, nothing ever takes you by surprise. You have it all under control. So, Father, be with us. Guide us away from harm, danger, any type of evil influence till we can gather in this house again. And we thank you and praise you for your goodness once again in your love. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.